knees are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immortality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your precious and holy and faithful word. We ask that you clear our hearts and our minds of any distraction, that we may hear the words that you will put in Pastor Corey, that we would hear and understand fully the words and the meaning of the scripture. We ask as we go throughout this week that we would put away the desires of the flesh and that we would focus solely on the fruits of the Spirit. We ask that you be with us this week and that we would take your word out into a lost world. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Allison. As you can tell by where we're at in the book of Galatians, uh, we are drawing uh, to a close only a, a few more messages uh, in chapter 6, and then we'll be done uh, with Galatians. Now, the, the goal of Galatians and the desire has been the desire to get the gospel right and to make sure that we as a congregation understand what the gospel is because it's so central. It's, it's the core of, of who we are as followers of Christ. It's the core of who we are as Christians and it should be the core of who we are as a congregation in the church. And throughout the book of Galatians, Paul has been driving home the point of what the gospel is. And for four and a half uh, chapters, almost five full chapters, his common theme was that the gospel is not works, that it is, it is faith in Christ, that it is faith in Christ that, that makes you righteous with God, that you can do and labor all you want to, but you will never outdo the sin in your life, and you will never do enough to earn God's favor. And that's been Paul's battle cry through all the, the, the majority of the book of Galatians. And had he ended the book of Galatians in verse 12 of chapter 5, uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, there would be a danger. And the danger is that you could say, well, if I'm not made right with God by, uh, by loving others, if I'm not made right with God by obeying my parents, if I'm not made right with God by coming to church, if I'm not made right with God by uh, uh, not murdering or not stealing or uh, being a good citizen or, or being a good husband, or a good wife, a good father, on and on and on, I could keep uh, giving examples. And, and you could say, if I'm not made right with God by those things, then what's the point of doing them? Because you could say, well, uh, I can do those things because it's faith in Christ that makes me right with God. So if I want to commit adultery, I can. If I want to continue in drunkenness, I can. If I want to continue in sex outside of the covenant of marriage, then I can. Because those things don't save me. What saves me is faith in Christ. 
And had the book of Galatians ended in verse 12, you might have an argument. But thankfully, God has given us a broad range of teaching in His Word. The whole counsel of God has been given to us from Genesis to Revelation. And therefore, it's important to see how Paul begins to close this book. Because he intentionally addresses this potential abuse of thinking that because we are made right with God through faith, then we have this license to to sin. And we have this license to do whatever we want to. And that the law no longer matters. Now, this is what Paul addresses. And he began doing it in verses 13, 14, and 15 that we looked at two weeks ago. And we saw that the importance of loving your neighbor and who our neighbor was. But then he gets more specific as he closes chapter 5. It's important at this point to understand the purpose of the law. Now, historically, in the Protestant church, the, the law of God has had three functions. One, it's, it serves to the non-believer. It serves to convict people. So that for the non-believer, uh, it's important to teach the law, to show the law, because it shows God's righteousness and our sinfulness. And it shows the need for redemption. So it shows the need for a Savior. But it also serves to, to help curb uh, lawlessness. So, so it's good to have laws against robbing banks and against murdering. Uh, it doesn't prevent everyone from robbing a bank. But the fact that there is a law there and that it does have consequences, it does prevent some people from robbing a bank. And that's a good thing. But then the last use of the law is what Paul is dealing here with. And that is that it, it helps confirm what the Spirit is doing in our life. So that, yes, we live by the Spirit as followers of Christ, but no, that does not mean that the Spirit would lead us to do something contrary to God's Word. And that's what what Paul is getting at here here, uh, this morning in these few verses. Now, there's two things that I hope that you will, will see and we'll be able to walk away with in the coming few moments together as we unpack these verses. The first one is that Christianity cannot be reduced to a get-out-of-hell ticket. So Christianity cannot be reduced to a get-out-of-hell ticket. And then the second one is simply that the Christian life cannot be lived without the Spirit of God. So that Christianity cannot be reduced to a get-out-of-hell ticket and that it cannot be lived without the Spirit of God. Now where are we getting these from? The first thing is, as Allison just read, we see in these first few verses where Paul is giving the command to believers To walk by the Spirit. So that walk by the Spirit is a simple and direct command from God. To walk by the Spirit. And then he begins unpacking this this opposition or this conflict between what? Between the Spirit and what? The flesh. Now is Paul saying that our flesh and our bodies are, are, are evil in themselves? Well no, because God created our bodies and, and He said they were good. But what he is saying, he's recognizing that our spiritual nature, which is often uh, used, or communicated with simply talking about the flesh, is present in us. And that we have a, a our, our spiritual nature, nature is sinful, that is distorted, and that there's something wrong with it, and that it is in fact opposed to the Spirit of God. So that, so that it's in opposition, that these are, are strong words that Paul uses where he says that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So he's simply recognizing this spiritual truth that when we come out of the womb, we don't come out of the womb neutral to God. 
we don't come out of the womb positive to God. That we actually come out of the womb with a defective spiritual condition that is hostile to God. And that's why David in the book in, in the Psalm says that in sin he was conceived. And in Psalm 14 it talks about how God looks down and there is none good. No one is righteous. Uh, in Psalm 51 it talks about how our transgressions are ever before us. In Romans 3.10 says that there are none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Ephesians 2, it talks about how we are by, by nature children of wrath and we were dead in our trespasses. So that our spiritual condition outside of Christ is not good. That it's hostile to Christ and it's hostile to the, flesh, to the Spirit. And Paul is simply uh, trying to flesh this out by telling the Galatians this simple truth that you don't naturally desire the things that the Spirit desires. And that your natural desires are against the Spirit. Now how does this relate to the fact that Christianity can't be reduced to a get-out-of-hell ticket? One of the unfortunate misunderstandings of the Gospel is that, well, I got baptized when I was 12, or I said a prayer that the preacher told me to say when I was 8, or I've been in church all my life, and therefore, I'm going to heaven. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, because you got baptized, you'll go to heaven. Nowhere does it say, because you repeated a prayer, you'll go to heaven. Nowhere does it say if you come to church for 40 straight years, you will go to heaven. What it says is those who have faith in Christ will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul is simply saying here that if you have faith, then you have the Spirit. If you look at Galatians chapter 3, if you turn over and look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 14, just so you know that I'm not making this stuff up, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul writes, he says, So that in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, which is righteousness, might come to the Gentiles, which is us, so that we might receive the promise of Spirit through what? Through what? Through faith. So that there is a natural correlation between two things. Faith, Spirit. That you cannot have one without the other. So if you don't have the Spirit of God, then guess what? You don't have faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ, then it is biblically mandated that the Spirit of God be in you. Now this is important because what we're going to do, we're going to unpack the works of the flesh and the work or the fruit of the Spirit. And the important thing is that as we unpack those things, Paul is, is making a logical argument, simply saying that if the works of the flesh are what is most evident in your life, then you don't have the Spirit of God, and that means you don't have faith, and that means you won't inherit the kingdom of God. But he's saying if you do have the fruit of the Spirit, that means the Spirit of God is in you, you do have faith in Christ, and therefore you will inherit the kingdom of God. And so it's very important to understand that faith will naturally 
result in the life that has the Spirit in it. And it's impossible to have the Spirit without faith. That it's like peanut butter and jelly to some sense. I guess you could have a peanut butter sandwich, but you know, it goes together. Peanut butter and jelly goes together. Faith and the Spirit go together. That you can't have one without the other one. They are two sides of the same coin. Now, Paul makes this clear again that, that it is, it's, 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 it's opposed to the flesh. And then he goes on to use this strong language, again, showing how the flesh and the sin nature is opposed to the Spirit. Where in verse 24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Now, that word crucified, what, what kind of images does that bring up? Obviously, it brings up what happened to Jesus on the cross. Are these strong words of what Paul is trying to say that needs to be done with the flesh and the sin nature? Yes, that he's not taking this lightly. He's saying that those who belong to Christ, those who have faith in Christ, those who who live by the Spirit, what they have to do is they have to take the sin nature and they've got to nail it. They've got to nail it to the cross and crucify it. And this language of, of crucifixion, You know, when someone was crucified, they didn't die immediately, but it was a a slow and painful death. So he's saying when you crucify your sin nature to the cross, as we can all testify from experience, it doesn't die immediately, right? It lives. Some days it lives stronger than other days. So he's saying this idea of every day you've got to nail the nail back into the sinful nature on the cross. And that if you don't do it continuously, that continuously you're crucifying it, that it will rip the nails out and it will cling its claws into your heart. And so there is opposition between the spirit and the sin nature. That this isn't a game. Coming to church isn't a game. That the Christian life isn't a game. It's not something to, to, to not consider seriously. It's not something to enter into haphazardly. It's not something that isn't applicable to all of your life. It's not something that is meaningless. That Paul is saying this is the very nature of life. That we are at war here. Between the work of the, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And it's not to be taken lightly. Now he goes on in verse 19. Where he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. So you could say, The works of your sin nature are evident. And he begins to name them. And it's interesting the, the list that he gives. Because he's going to address things that, that, that involve our intimate personal life. He's going to address religious aspects of our worship. He's going to address interpersonal relationships and our character. Of simply saying that the works of the flesh manifest themselves in every aspect of your life. There's no aspect of your life where the works of the flesh are not made manifest. Now he goes on to name them. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. He says, these, these things are clear. He doesn't need to convince you of these things. He's, he's just listing them here. He says the first one, these first three deal with the sexual purity. He says sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. 
So this word here for sexual immorality simply means that any sex that is outside the covenant of marriage, he is saying, identifying it, what? With the works of the flesh. And what's interesting here is when you talk to people and, and you, you say, well, you know, poor, you just don't understand. We love each other. And so what's wrong with this? Because we love each other. This is just an act of love. What's interesting is what is the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul gives? If you look down in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? What's the first one he gives? What is it? Love. love. Now, is the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, are they friends or are they hostile to one another? They're hostile to one another. According to verse 17, they are opposed. They are against each other. They are opposed to each other. So that sexual immorality cannot be love. But in fact, it's lust. In fact, it's saying that I'm God and you're not. It's saying that I don't really care what God's Word says. It's archaic. It's old-fashioned. It doesn't matter. I know what's best for my life. And therefore, I'm going to do this. Instead of recognizing the wisdom and the authority of God's Word, it says that I am the wisdom, I am the authority, and my God is whatever I want to do right now, and what I want to do right now is engage in 15 to 20 minutes of pleasure, regardless of what God's Word says, and regardless of the consequences that would have for a relationship, that would have upon a marriage, that would have upon your family, upon your life. It's putting the God of personal pleasure above the God of the universe. And there's no other way to explain that. And so Paul is simply saying that this is a work of the flesh. He goes on talking about idolatry and sorcery. Dealing with religious life. Now you most likely don't have a carved idol in your home that was more prominent in Greek culture. But the reality is, is you do have idols. You know something very good can become an idol? I use Becky and Elwood just because y'all have a new grandson. Are grandsons great things? Yes. I don't have any, but, you know, I'm assuming they're great things. They're wonderful. They have three kids. I love them. They're wonderful. We'll do anything for them. But can our grandchildren and can our kids become idols? The answer is yes, they can. Anything that replaces God as the chief adoration of the heart is an idol. Anything that replaces God from His rightful position as the chief adoration of your heart is an idol. It could be money. It could be your wife. It could be your husband. It could be your kid's uh, success in school or in sports. It could be your advancement in your career. It could be being a pastor of a church. All these things can become idols in our hearts. And Paul is simply saying that those are works of the flesh. He goes on talking about things dealing with personal relationships, enmity, 
strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All these things dealing with personal relationships that we deal with every day or at least every week. Whether it be at work or in our families, in church, Sunday school classes, neighbors, whatever it means. You're, you're always battling these, as he calls, dissensions, divisions, rivalries, fits of anger, jealousy, strife. And Paul simply saying, be aware of those things and know that they don't come from God. And so when you say, you just don't understand, that's just the way I am. That's the way my mama was, that's the way my grandma was, and that's just the way the Wilsons are. Paul says, that may be the way the Wilsons are. But the way the Wilsons are is a work of the flesh, not the work of the Spirit. So you just don't understand, I've got red hair, or I'm an Irish, or whatever it may be. Those are not justifications to continue unrepentantly down the paths of the works of the flesh. Causing divisions and strife and anger and envy and jealousy. I just know that here what Paul is saying, that, that if you're doing those things, if you're the source of these things, if you're involved in these things, it is not the work of the Spirit in your life. That it is the manifestation of your sinful nature. And not a work of God. He goes on saying drunkenness and orgies are, are partying, carousing. And things like these. So he, he doesn't say that I've given you the comprehensive list. He ends it by saying things like these. So anything that is remotely related to the list that I gave you, they would be considered works of the flesh. And we could come up with more. But I think Paul, you get the point what Paul is saying here. But notice what he says after this. And hear this. I plead that you would hear, if you don't hear anything, hear what Paul is saying in verse 21. When he says, I warn you. So Paul is warning the Galatians. And therefore, as I stand before you today on the authority of God's Word, I am warning you. As Paul warned the Galatians. Warning, meaning there is danger ahead. The caution lights are flashing. The signs have been put out. The speed bumpers are there. They're warning. Warning, warning, warning. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What are you saying, Corey? I'm saying exactly what Paul is saying. That if you think that Christianity is simply a ticket to get out of hell and then you can do whatever you want to, you have got something besides Christianity. You've got your own religion. It's not the gospel. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what this church teaches. And if you're hearing that from anywhere, you are hearing a false gospel. Because Paul is saying exactly what Jesus said in the Gospels. You do these things, and he doesn't say there's a good chance, or there's a 95% probability, 50% probability, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice what he's not saying. He's not saying that if you do these one time, then there's no grace from God. But the word here that he uses, when he says in verse 21, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The, the tense of that verb, you could translate saying, those who 
continue doing, or those who keep on doing. So the idea is that there is a continual habitual practice of these things listed here. So the proper application of this could be, as you take, we could take any of these, if your life, there is the continual practice of sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage, you have every reason to believe that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Based on what the Apostle Paul is saying under the inspiration of the one who has created us. There is reason to worry. If your life is defined by continually placing things that are not God as the chief affection of your heart, there is reason to worry. If your life is defined by continually having fits of anger and rivalries and being involved in dissensions and divisions and drunkenness, then you have reason to worry. If those things are continually being practiced by you, my question to you is on what assumption is it that you have that you would inherit the kingdom of God when you continually, willingly, unrepentantly continue in things that God has clearly said is against His Word. So if you are practicing these things and there is no repentance in your life, what Paul is saying is you don't have the Spirit of God. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't have faith in Christ. And if you don't have faith in Christ, then you are not a son of Abraham, and therefore you are not an heir of the kingdom of God. Therefore, you have no inheritance. This is what Paul is saying to the Galatians, and this is what God's Word is saying to us. So whatever happened when you were a little boy or a little girl... Whatever emotional experience you had, you may have cried. You say, well, I cried and cried and cried, or I got baptized. I don't care. Paul doesn't care. God doesn't care. Do you have the Spirit in your life? Is your life evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit, or is it evidenced by the works of the flesh? These are questions that we all need to deal with. Again, what Paul is saying is not that if there is a lapse into one of these things, or that it happens that there's not forgiveness, he's saying, is your life defined by these things? Is there the continual practice where there's no repentance? He's saying if there is, then you will not. He's warning you. He's warning you. He wants you to repent. Repent of these things. Turn to Christ. Have faith. Live by the Spirit. That's what the warning's for. So if these things are true, then hear that He's warning you. Stop the car. Don't go across the bridge that's idle, that's been taken out. Stop the car, put it in reverse, repent, and turn to Christ. Confess your need for a redemption and need for a Savior. So in all those things we see that Christianity cannot be reduced to a get-out-of-hell ticket. 
And then finally, in the closing verses, we see that the Christian life cannot be lived without the Spirit. Just notice what he says in verse 22 and 24, 23. He says the fruit of the Spirit. Notice he doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit. He said that's love, joy, peace, dealing with our inner condition. Patient, kindness, and goodness, dealing with how we interact with others. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, dealing with our character. Against things, such things there is no law. So the question, you may say, well, Corey, I'm patient, but the other ones I don't really have. Again, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit of the Spirit. So they come one with nine. They're all together. And Paul is simply saying that that if you have faith in Christ and you have the Spirit, and that's why he gives the command in verse 16 to walk by the Spirit. So, So he's exhorting you to do something. He's exhorting the Christians to do something. He said, get off of it and follow the leading of the Spirit. And the leading of the Spirit will always lead you in accordance to what God's Word has commanded. So what he's not talking about is you saying, well, preacher, the Spirit's just leading me to go do this. You know, you just don't know. The Spirit's leading me to go cheat on my husband. Or you just don't understand, Corey. The Spirit is leading me to, to get involved with this guy that's, that's not a believer, or we're not married, I know, but we're together. Or God has told me this is okay. I don't know who told you that was okay, but God didn't tell you that was okay because God would never tell you something that was okay that was contrary to His Word. So specifically how the Spirit leads is it leads in accordance to God's Word because they are the same. The Spirit inspired the Word of God. And now the Spirit lives within us, directing us to faithful obedience in the Word of God. And Paul is simply saying, if you are led by the Spirit, When you are squeezed and fruit comes out, what comes out is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So I can't make a law that says, you know, James, you've got to love people. Matt, love people. Be self-controlled. As you know, you can't make yourself be kind. You can try to on the outside... You can't make yourself be self-controlled. You can think, okay, today I'm not going to lose it when the kids go crazy. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind and gentle to them. And about 9.15, sometimes it's 8.45, you lose it. And while you're losing, you're like, I said I wasn't going to do this. So you realize that you can't do this on your own strength. It's the the fruit of the Spirit. That's why Paul says it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. That as you continually repent from your sin, as you continually meditate upon God's Word, as you continually pray and plead for help and assistance, as you involve yourself in the body of Christ, the preaching of His Word and the teaching of His Word in Sunday school and on Wednesday night, Ways that, that the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is strengthened in us and it grows in us. So that what comes out when we're squeezed is not the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. One of the things uh, that I remember distinctly about West Africa uh, in the two and a half years that was there, we had a lot of volunteers that came. And it was always uh, amazing because 
you know, again, I've talked about this before, but it's when it's 72 degrees and you've got a full stomach and everybody's healthy and everybody's fine, it's really easy to give the appearance of being kind and gentle, faithful, patient, and self-controlled. Okay? The most wretched person in the world can exhibit the worldly idea of the fruit of the Spirit in those conditions. One of the things that would happen in West Africa, it was always that, that within two days of someone getting off the plane, you could tell the degree to what the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in their lives. Because you're away from home, you're away from your family, it's 110 degrees, you're sleeping on the floor, you got gnats coming in you, mosquitoes biting you, your things are happening in your stomach that you didn't think were possible, the food's not good, you're, you're tired. Well, guess what? It's either it's in there or it's not. And it was so amazing to see the mature Christians that were with us. That in those difficult times, that what came out was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Because you're reminded that we can't live this life. I, I can't do these things. And when you're honest... You look at this list, how many of us could say we haven't been guilty of something on that list in the last 12 hours? Realize that the Christian life isn't about doing things in your own strength. It's about having faith in Christ and living by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. That the Spirit will give us the path to go on. And we must diligently follow the Spirit's leading. So for the non-believer this morning, there's the warning from Paul that simply says, if your life is marked by works of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So at the day of judgment, there will not be blessings of righteousness and peace, but there will be eternal damnation that comes from Christ, who is the Lord of all. So I plead with you to repent, to stop the car, turn to Christ, and give your life to Christ. Turn from your sin. Repent of it. Put your idols away and confess Christ as Lord. For the believer, you can't do it by yourself. The Spirit has been given to us to do what we cannot do. And that is to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So trust God. Repent of your sin. Plead that the Spirit will grow in you. Commit yourself to discipline of studying God's Word and praying and being involved actively in the life of this church where we're continually trying to confront each other with sin and confront each other with the hope and edification that comes with the Gospel. So may the Lord do what He desires to do in your hearts this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.